0: Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Can we thank our pastors? Who loves our pastors here today? I always say no one can give an intro like David Binion. No one can introduce a speaker like David Binion. So, oh, my goodness. Isn't the Lord beautiful today? Wow. Oh, man. Let's just pray for a moment. Let's just point our hearts to the Lord. Oh, precious Jesus. Precious Jesus, we adore you this morning. We love you. Jesus, we just say... We want you to live here this morning. Come live here, live here, recline here in our midst this morning. God, we are obsessed with you. We thank you, Lord, for everything that we're facing can be met in your face, God. Everything we're facing, every issue of life can be met by beholding your face. So Lord, we just pray this morning that your presence would transform us. It's not a sermon, it's not a song, it's not a personality, but it's the life-changing presence of Jesus that touches and transforms God. So Lord, we just say we need you this morning all over again. We need you this morning. Deepen our need for you, God. Deepen the need for you in our midst, God, in your bride. We adore you, Lord. We're obsessed with you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can we just shout amen and give him one last shout of praise all over this room? So good. Um, about three weeks ago, I don't know how many of you were here, I spoke a message called Living with the Throne Room in Mind, Living with the Throne Room in Mind. And and really that whole, that whole theme was, it was ultimately about what is Jesus looking for? What, what kind of life is he looking for when we stand before him in the end? And ultimately he's looking for a fiery, vibrant heart that is consumed and obsessed with the first and greatest command, which is this, loving the Lord, your God, with all your might, with all your soul and with all your strength, that that and that alone is the life that God calls great. It's not just an idea, it's not a concept, but it is a lifestyle that, that we cultivate, living a life that he calls great. And in other words, his desire is for us to be living every moment on, in earth for one moment in eternity. Yeah. Live every moment here on earth for one singular moment in eternity. And so, Uh, This morning, I wanna still stay on this same sort of topic, um, but I wanna go a little bit more specific today, and the title of what I wanna talk about today is Navigating the Presence of God. Navigating the Presence of God. I wanna try to be really practical. If the Lord is looking for a vibrant heart, the question that comes to my mind is, how do I find him to get a vibrant heart? See, it it takes God to know God, (laughs) you can't get a vibrant heart apart from knowing the Lord, apart from seeing the Lord, apart from constantly knowing Him. And so I wanna try to be really practical today and really give kind of just a practical context for pathways to finding God's presence. And uh, I said a few weeks ago, if if you did a survey this morning, across the United States of America, of all the different amazing sermons being taught, all the all the, the different themes that you could preach on today across America. I, I would suggest that this theme of living for a day in eternity, living for the throne room is really not the most emphasized message preached today in most church circles. And, and that's okay, uh, but I just wanna suggest that as we approach the nearing of the Lord's return, In the generation the Lord's returns, this message will go from the back seat to the front seat. (laughs) This message will be the most emphasized message in the body of Christ in the day the Lord returns. Of how do I want to stand before the throne of God in eternity? How how do I want to stand there? And um, I have this, this conviction in my heart, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure most, most messages being taught today are great stuff about life application and finding your destiny, but I have this conviction just the last few months that when we breathe our last breaths, the last thing on my mind will be life application, <laughs> Right? <laughs> The first thing, or not even the first thing, the only thing on my mind will be, where is the security of my soul lying right now? <laughs> it's like, yeah, life application, it's great, for, for, but it's it should be peripheral. It should not be driver's seat stuff. And so um, I just want to just put that before the body of Christ, that there will be a seismic shift in the body of Christ in what the conversation is talked about in the days to come, in the day the Lord returns. So. I want to give just a quick review of kind of what I taught about a few weeks ago. Um, really, the main scripture is Matthew 24, 12. We can go ahead and put that up. I want to read this in the Passion Translation, Matthew 24, 12. I love the Passion Translation. It says this, there will be such, he's talking about the last days. This is Jesus, the context of the last days, what to, what to be on guard for, what to look forward to. He says this, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness. How many of you know that's happening, right? That those whose hearts once burn with passion for God and others will grow cold. So right here, it's it's amazing to me that we don't have to guess what God is looking for when we stand before Him in eternity. (laughs) We don't have to guess at what he calls great and successful, the the life he's looking for. He gives us right here his prescription for what he is looking for when we stand before him in the throne room. And it is not defined by me, not defined by a church, but, but defined by Jesus himself. It is this, keep a heart that is stewarding vibrancy and passion for the Lord. That is the number one thing that Jesus is looking for in the last days. Samuel Chadwick, he's, he's a theologian from the early 1900s. He, he said this, I want to read this quote. Men ablaze are invincible. Hell trembles when men kindle. Hell trembles when men kindle. I like, that. I like it too, thanks. <laughs> the stronghold of Satan is proof against everything but the fire of God. The church is powerless without the flame of the Holy Ghost. Destitute of fire, nothing else really counts. Possessed of fire, nothing else really matters. The one vital need is fire. Without the flame and fervor of the Holy Ghost, the church will never accomplish her mission. Fire. (laughs) The fire of God. You know, anytime we talk about these, I call them Christianese words, like fire of God or a a vibrant heart, that that can sound so like ethereal and like what does that even mean sometimes? And and so I wanna try my best to give language to these like Christianese language words that that we become uh, um, so used to. And how many of you know the presence of God, it's better experienced than it is explained? (laughs) It's one of those things. How many of you have had just a radical encounter with the Lord before? And it takes months or sometimes years before you have even a language to articulate or explain what the Lord did in your life. (laughs) And I believe, you know, here there's an 18-inch journey between our heads and our hearts. And when the Lord marks us so deeply in our hearts, we have heart knowledge of what he did. But it takes years or months sometimes to get that heart knowledge up here to where we're like, oh, that's what it was. That's what you did in my heart. that That's what the Lord did. And so uh, this morning, how many of you have heard of a cartographer? Cartographer. Um, so cartographers, the, the purpose of a cartographer is to meticulously draw and produce maps for the use of public for public use and so really my goal what i want to do this morning is to serve as somewhat of a spiritual cartographer uh, uh, to create a spiritual map for you of pathways that take us to the presence of god where we can where we know practically how i can get a vibrant heart how yeah. i can get fire in my heart yeah. i remember when i was like 16 or 17 maybe 10 years ago i had I had this dream, I don't remember if it was a dream or it was a vision exactly, but I had this dream, I was standing in front of this amusement park, I think it was Magic Kingdom in Disney World, and I was standing outside the gates, and I was, uh, I was a crew member, a cast member there, and my, my goal, or not my goal, but my purpose was to be a tour guide and I was standing outside the gates of this huge theme park, and in front of me was just this massive crowd that was standing in front of me, staring at me, relying on me to show them the the caveats, the secret places, every single part of this theme park. Uh, Trusting that me in private, I went and sought out this theme park for myself, and I could show them publicly what I had stewarded privately. The thing is in this dream i had not been to the magic kingdom park (laughs) and i was standing there and i had this this weight of responsibility on me and i immediately woke up and i i I knew exactly what the lord was saying I, i felt like the lord was saying this this theme park represented the depths of the presence of god it represented the depths of his heart the depths of who he is of his presence and, and the people in front of me were the people that he would eventually entrust me to lead as a spiritual tour guide into the places of God's presence. And my responsibility above anything else was to know this park in secret, to know his presence in secret so I could lead people there publicly. And I believe that's a responsibility for so many of us in this room, your private life. God does not develop us in public. He develops us in secret. It's just there's no other way around it. He always develops us in secret. He doesn't develop us in in public. He always develops his greatest treasures in secret. And so a lot of the things I want to share today, I want to be a tour guide into the presence of God. And a lot of the things that I'm going to share today, most of us have probably ever heard before. But how many of you know that that sometimes we're thinking, God, I'm facing this wall right now. I'm facing this. I need breakthrough. I need a fresh word from the Lord. And many times the goal of the Lord for us is not to give us a fresh word, but it's to remind us of what he's already deposited in us. And just to dig out what he's already said, what he's already given us. I want to read... Uh, just on that second Peter chapter three. He says this, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory, refresh your memory. Not a brand new revelation, but refresh what revelation God has already trusted you with. Sometimes he's not gonna trust us with something new because we haven't properly stewarded what he's already spoken to us. He's a good steward of what he entrusts to us, right. and so we communicate to heaven what we are, are what we are to be trusted with by what we're stewarding right now, yes. Yes. and so this is my second letter to you. I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking. Refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through the apostles. Yeah. How many of you have ever been to the grocery store and you're you're going to cook something at home and you're going to buy ingredients and and you think oh I don't I don't know if I have this ingredient at home or not I'm just going to get it anyway and you go home and you realize oh I had this the entire time in my pantry it was already there I just didn't dig it out and for some of us, it's like the opposite. It's like, oh, I know I have that at home. And you get there and it's like, oh, I don't have it. Now I have to make a second trip <laughs> to the grocery store. Um, but I really feel like the Lord is is inviting us to dig into the pantry of our memories this morning, to dig in to the pantry of our revelation of what he's already said, of what he's already spoken. Dig out, dust off that revelation, dust off that encounter and bring it to the Lord and say, oh, this is a pathway to your presence right here. This is an entry point of access to knowing you, so good. I shared. I shared many times um, my my story of most of my life. Um, depression and anxiety had has been a really big struggle for me, especially in my teenage years. And I would have moments of victory, when I where I would the Lord would completely wipe it away, and then I would just kind of sink back into it, and it would just kind of just go up and down, like kind of like a roller coaster. And when I was uh, 22 years old in 2018. Um, I had the most radical encounter with the Lord that I have ever had up to that point. I didn't know if you know it was possible for the Lord to meet me as deeply as he did. But it was almost like it was in our apartment in Redding and I was laying on our rug there in our little apartment And it was almost like the electricity of God was just pulsating throughout my body, flushing out every bit of darkness, every bit of anxiousness, every bit of depression that I had ever struggled with. And I was just flopping around the floor like a fish, just from the power of God that was just coming through me. And I remember the next nine or 10 months, I was just like living in euphoria. I was just like, oh my God, I didn't even know peace like this existed. And... I remember after nine or 10 months, uh, the the feelers started to fade away. You know what I mean? Just the feelers started to, to fade. And life happened, stuff happened, and I felt the darkness starting to creep up again. It was just starting to rear its head again in my life. And I remember um, one morning I woke up and it was just there, right over my head, just there. And I just remember thinking, well, the Lord... Touched me before, I guess he'll touch me again. I'm just gonna wait for him to touch me. (laughs) Sad story. And I remember in that moment, as the words were coming out of my mind, I was listening to a sermon from Bill Johnson, and he was talking about emotional emotional mental health. And he said these words, and it still resounds so clearly in my heart. He said, you are responsible for your own mental health. (laughs) I wanna say that to a generation. (laughs) We are responsible for our own emotional and mental health. It isn't the responsibility of anyone else. It is our responsibility to take take ownership of that. I'm not saying don't seek counseling or or don't, I'm not saying any of that. Get help where you need help. But but don't be powerless. We're not powerless. (laughs) I mean jesus is in us the conqueror of nations is in us like how can we be dry if there's a river flowing through us like that's who's in us right now right we just got to remind ourselves what's already in us and so he said that take take ownership and he said stop waiting for your next prophetic word to come stop waiting to go to that next conference stop waiting Uh, for that next pastor to lay hands on you and break it off of you. Get up and fight this on your own. (laughs) And immediately in that moment, just this measure of responsibility came came over me. It's like, whoa, like, oh. And I remember immediately all these prophetic words flashed in my mind, everything that, that the Lord had promised me. I'm like, oh, me stewarding my mental health, me stewarding my inner world is dependent on how well I walk out my promises, on how I walk out. See, God is obligated to make sure all your prophecies come forth, but he is not obligated to make sure of its potential. I want to say that again. He is obligated to fulfill every promise he gives us, but he is not obligated to fulfill our potential. That's up to us. That's up to us co-laboring with him. So so I remember just getting up and forcing myself little by little, whittling just whittling that darkness away, and just, I'm going to talk more about it in a few minutes, but it broke over me that, that day. That day just completely broke over me, and it's one thing for the Lord to break something over you. It's another thing for him to say, hey, what I deposited in you, it's already there. <laughs> Dig it out. <laughs> Dig it out and get breakthrough for yourself, and I just want to say that for all of us, every single person in this room today has the capacity to find God for yourself. You don't have to rely on a worship team or a pastor. Every single person, you have the ability to find the depths of his presence for yourself. It's there. He, he's not a robot. It's he, not like a, you know, it's not a formula. He's a person. How many have ever you know, felt the Lord so strongly on one specific song. And it's like, that's the song. And you sit and you do it for two weeks. And then all of a sudden after the third week, oh, I don't feel him anymore on this song. Why? Because he's a person. He wants you to find him in different ways. He's not a bad father where he teases you. He's saying, hey, I want you to grow in this area. Come find me here now. Come find me here. It's already inside of you. It's already inside of you. So so this morning, um, I wanna give three, pathways that I have found in my life, three pathways to navigating the presence of God that ultimately bring a heart that is vibrant for him. I said a few weeks ago that every single person on the earth will reach a day in their lives where retirement comes, or the career ends, or the kids move out, or the businesses sell, or if you're in ministry, the crowds leave, the sermons stop coming, and we will all be met with this question that will confront us, and the question is this. What well did our hearts drink from throughout our lives? What was our satisfaction? What was our reward? Was the career the reward? If you're in ministry, was the people's applause the reward? Was the crowd, was that the reward? What was the reward of your soul? And I wanna say this, do not wait until you're in that day, till you're 60, 70, 80 to begin digging that well with the Lord. Dig that well of intimacy now. Find that pathway to his presence now. Ask yourself, what well is my soul drinking from? What well? All right, number one. The first pathway, the pathway of praise and thanksgiving. I love this. The pathway of praise and thanksgiving. Pastor Nicole spoke on Thanksgiving um, a couple weeks ago, and so I'm probably gonna um, reiterate a lot of the amazing things she said, but I believe you can never overemphasize the power of thanksgiving, the power of gratitude in the presence of God. And thanksgiving, is it's one of those things that is so simple that it is easily missed as the body of Christ, How many of you know the the most simplest things in the body of Christ are the things that we easily look past, we easily overlook? It's like, oh, yeah, thankful. I I know that. Like, just, okay, yeah, Thanksgiving, I get that. Now, tell me about, you know, spiritual portals and vortexes and all those (laughs) other things. Like, let's move past that. It's like, no, there is no moving past the doorway of Thanksgiving. That is forever the front door to God's presence. We never move past that. Never move past a grateful heart. It's like, I don't want to know about portals and vortexes if I'm an entitled, you know, nagging person. and I'm not grateful. Like, what's, what's the point of that? Like, you have to be grateful. You have to have gratitude in our hearts. Gratitude. And um, I want to I suggest it is scripturally impossible to consistently encounter the Lord apart from a heart of gratitude. And the scriptural prescription that God gives us, that God defines for how he wants us to engage him is through thanksgiving. Notice, we don't get to define how we seek the Lord. He has already defined for us how he wants to be engaged for us. And so we must adjust to him. He will not adjust to us, right? We are in God's world. He's not in our world. He is Lord. He has Lordship. He gets to tell us how to be engaged. And so... Uh, Michael Miller from Upper Room, he preaches an incredible sermon called The Little Hinge, and he calls Thanksgiving the little hinge on the door of God's presence, the little hinge. Every single person in this room, if you're sitting here, you walked through one of these doors to get into the room. Hopefully, no one came through the ceiling. I don't think that happened, but I'm sure every single person in this room walked through a door to get in here. And more than the door there are hinges that hold that door open that bring it access that open it up and close it if you remove hinges from the door what do you get i would say all you get is a wall (laughs) i want to suggest the moment you remove thanksgiving the hinge from the door of your heart you get a wall between you and your awareness of god's presence I'm not saying you get a wall between you and the Lord. He never leaves us, he never forsakes us, but we get a wall between us and our awareness of his presence. How many of you have ever felt the presence of God when you had a terrible attitude? No one, right, right, no one. How many of you have ever felt the presence of God when you had a grateful attitude? Right, do you see a common theme here? gratitude is forever the entryway to the presence of god just like a door without hinges creates a wall a heart without gratitude creates a spiritual wall between us and the lord we talk about this a lot psalms 104 enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and so right here god gives us his prescription for how he wants to be engaged When we meet with God, no matter in private or public, we are coming into his house. He is not coming into our house. We are coming into his house. He's not coming into ours. See, Jesus is always the guest of honor, but the moment he shows up, he immediately becomes the host. (laughs) He immediately becomes the host. He's the guest, but he immediately becomes the host when he shows up. And you might think, well, can't I just, just, enter his presence however i want can i just come to him and just you know vent and pour my heart out and it's like i want to say god hears every prayer he hears the sos's in the middle of the night he hears those long hail mary prayers that that you throw up but there there is there is something about seeking him his way seeking god god's own way that he gives us that that is called maturity right there that is called maturity going back to my story, um, that 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 day that I felt this measure of responsibility just rise up in me, I, I get to my knees and I'm like, okay, what do I do? I, I, I've heard that Thanksgiving is the gateway to his presence. So I got on the exact rug that the Lord met me and another state in California. It was the same rug. So I just got on that rug and I put my face down. I said, Lord, I remember how you touched me here on this same rug, on this same spot. Lord, thank you for how you met me. Thank you for how you touched me. And little by little, if if you could picture my soul in that moment was just this, just emotional storm cloud. If you could picture as I gave thanks, little by little, the clouds would break in my heart. The, the sun would come out and as I did it wasn't an instantaneous thing but little by little I felt the peace of God just oh, break open it's like oh that that anxious stuff is gone that that dark stuff it's gone. That is the power of Thanksgiving. that is Thanksgiving that's gratitude. I want to share a little bit about the story of Jonah. Jonah, is uh, is a type and shadow of Jesus. I I, I love to read Jesus in the Old Testament. And even the early church, they didn't have a New Testament. All they had were the Old Testament scriptures. So they uh, were so skilled at finding Jesus in every Old Testament scripture. And so... Jonah, we all know, was swallowed by a fish in the belly of a fish for three days in the depths of the ocean, and then was spit out, which was speaking of Jesus, who would be swallowed up by the belly of death in the depths of hell for three days, but hell itself could not contain him, and it spit him out. And so Jonah is a type and shadow of Jesus, Um, but there is an incredible thread here of gratitude, which is one of the reasons why Jonah got spit out of the well. I wanna read uh, Jonah chapter two, verse one. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. You, uh, for you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the current flowed around me. All your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have been cast out from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. I love that right there. Yeah. I will look again. Yeah. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The deep flowed around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I descended to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought my life up from the pit, Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered. I remembered. There it is again. I remembered the Lord. I want to say, I want to suggest your breakthrough may not be some fresh new thing, it may be what God has already done in your heart. Remember. Remember. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worthless idols abandon their faithfulness. Here it is but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Look right here what the result of that cry of thanksgiving was. Look at the fruit of this. Immediately it says this, then the Lord commanded the fish and it omitted Jonah up onto dry land. You may be in a moment like that right now of like swirl and darkness. I wanna say giving thanks may not be a bad idea (laughs) when you're in that moment. (laughs) If he did it for Jonah, I mean, Lord, spit me out of this. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, thank you. Thank you. The words thank you sometimes are more powerful than binding and loosing, (laughs) right? See, there's a difference between a demonic attack and God's pruning, (laughs) there is you can't rebuke away god's pruning you can't bind and loose god's pruning you're just gonna wear yourself out pacing the best way to embrace the pruning of the lord is to stay low and stay thankful stay low and stay thankful it's the pruning of the lord and please hear me many many circles really teach that sickness is from God, and sickness is God's punishment. I just want to say that is not the pruning of the Lord, that if you are sick, if you have disease, there is healing available. That is not the hand of God in your life. That is a demonic attack. I just want to say that, because things can get really swirly like that, but the pruning of the Lord. Notice Jonah gave thanks before he was spit out of the well, not after he was spit out, and see what thanksgiving does, it creates an atmosphere in our hearts. It Thanksgiving, what did I put here? It always gives us the emotional experience of breakthrough before the breakthrough actually happens. That's what Thanksgiving does. It creates an atmosphere of breakthrough within our hearts. And whatever kingdom we are cultivating within us will always manifest in the kingdom around us. I want to say that again. Whatever kingdom, emotional kingdom or spiritual, we are cultivating inside of us it always comes forth in the kingdom around us. That's why I believe grateful people attract breakthrough. Yes. Why do they attract breakthrough around them? Because they have they have a cultivated gratitude within them. <laughs> Whatever you cultivate within you, will always always manifest around you. That's why I believe Moses. He he was uh, born into slavery as an Israelite, but. Why did God have him raised in a palace? I wanna suggest because he needed him to learn the ways of royalty and to become a king internally so he could manifest that externally. Because I wanna say this, listen, a man who is enslaved internally can never free people who are enslaved externally. You have to be free inside before you can free people outside cultivate your emotional space yeah. with gratitude yeah. so good. the kingdom within us will always become the kingdom around us yeah. and believe me there, there's a place when you come to be with god there's a place for venting and pouring your heart out we see that in the psalms king david is always breaking his heart open um but he always ties it back to god you're good god you're faithful he never accuses the lord i've i've heard many christians who uh, i don't know if i should say this but okay (laughs) many who think it's okay to cuss the lord out i'm just like this is the lord we're talking about have you ever tried to do that to your wife i hope not but what would that do to our relationship it would damage it and you might say oh he's god he can handle it yeah he can handle it but but there's a fear of the lord i'm talking about the fear of the lord it's like he is my holy one he's my beautiful one i don't I mean, like, we're going to be judged for, for words we say. I just want to say that. In Matthew, it says, we will be judged and held accountable for every careless word come, came, come out of our mouths. It doesn't say, um, you'll be judged, oh, unless you're being vulnerable with the Lord or unless you're venting. It's like, no, that's what the scripture says. I just want to say that. There, there, there needs to be a fear of the Lord when it comes to communicating with the God of the King of glory. You know, he is the King of glory. He, he is that. And I've realized if, if I ever go into the presence of God to be alone with him, and I come back and I come out the same as I was when I went in, I wasn't praying. I was complaining. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was complaining. Yeah. It's like Emily can tell. It's like go back in there and talk to him and come back out when, when you're different. It's like we need that sometimes, right? <laughs> Philippians uh, 4 Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Anytime the scripture states the same word twice, always pay attention. What does rejoice mean? It means do joy over and over until you become joy. (laughs) Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, (laughs) present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, in order to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, I need to give up my right to understand. (laughs) And that requires humility. How do I get humility? Cultivating gratitude. Cultivating gratitude. To experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, give up your right to understand. I've, I've discovered it's impossible to be thankful and anxious at the same time. It's impossible to be thankful and depressed at the same time. It's impossible to be thankful and discouraged at the th- same time. Last scripture I want to read on this point. Um, I want to read Romans chapter 1 right at the beginning of Romans. I think it's so important to see what the first words spoken anytime you read a book Anytime you open a new book of the Bible. And so these are the first words uh, that Paul is writing here in the book of of Romans. Um, And this is a pretty large chunk of scripture, so just try to soak it in. And it says this, yes, they knew God. He's talking about a people group, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. And so what Paul is doing here, he is basically about to list the, uh, the repercussions or the side effects of what happens in an individual, in a people group, and in a nation of what happens when there's an absence of thanksgiving in a people. Yeah. And it's shocking, it's shocking. So this is what happens. They wouldn't worship God or they would not give him thanks. As a result, here's the result of not giving thanks. Their minds became dark and confused. Yeah. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator God himself, who is worthy of eternal praise That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Notice what happens when there's an absence of gratitude. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Does that sound a lot like uh, where culture is heading in in some ways today? Does that sound really familiar to what's happening right now? It's like we're living in an age where darkness isn't even trying to hide itself anymore. It's just there. In your face, and when you hear this list, this myriads of sin and, and awful behavior behavior, you think, wow, there must be so many remedies to fix this, but really all of these things come down to one thing, yeah. or yet an absence of one thing, which is a heart of gratitude in a people, a heart of gratitude in a culture. Yeah. And I believe the Lord is raising up houses like these to show culture. Uh, uh, what purity really means by cultivating gratitude, by cultivating thankfulness, yes. thankful heart, yes. thankful heart. The remedy is quite simple. It's be in repentance and be thankful, yeah. be in gratitude, Amen. be in gratitude. In First Chronicles 16, David, it says David employed Asaph. He assigned Asaph to give thanks. Asaph's one job all day was to give thanks to the Lord. Yeah. And the entire nation of Israel prospered. See how David honored and valued the presence of the Lord and the entire nation prospered right there. Second thing I want to say, number two, the pathway of consecration. I believe with all my heart, there is a return to the sacred in the church. (laughs) I want to say that again. There is a return to the sacred in the body of Christ. There's been a cheapening of what God calls holy. In many circles, there's been a cheapening of, of what he calls holy and sacred. And I've discovered one of the greatest pathways to knowing the presence of Jesus is connected to how deeply I value him in private. How deeply I value him in secret. Mark four twenty four. He said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. I want everybody to hear this or write this down. This is is really heavy on my heart this morning. The only way to increase what I have in God is to consistently go after more in God. Say that again. The only way, to consistently, to, what did I write? I forgot, (laughs) I was trying to be all profound here and just the only way to increase what I have in God is to consistently go after more in God. See, in Exodus, we see um, Moses, it says Moses left the tent, but Joshua, what did he do? He remained in the tent. This is the only uh, scriptural evidence for us that shows how one how the younger generation needs to attain more glory than the previous generation did is that it requires more on the altar than what the previous generation laid down it's like the 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 ceiling the previous generation has for us becomes our floor it's like the standard they raise for us, we can't just meet that standard. We have to go a step beyond that standard to experience a greater level of the fire of God. Moses went away because that was his standard, but Joshua knew to get to the promised land, to get to where I know the, the glory, the promised land for this people, I need to remain in the presence of God. I need more hours. I need more sacrifice. I need more blood, sweat, and tears. That is the only scriptural per- prescription for us to attain more than what the next generation did for us. I've discovered, so in Mark, this scripture in Mark, the measure that you use to encounter God is the measure he will use to encounter you. The measure, the measure, you determine the measure of surrender, he determines the measure of transformation. With the measure you use, it will be added unto you. And even, into to those who don't have, even what they have will be taken from them. Have you ever been in a season where you're just like not treasuring what the Lord is doing in your life and all of a sudden you just forget every single promise he's given you, every single prophetic word? I wanna suggest because we stopped laying on the altar. The fire stopped burning. Lay back on the altar. I determine the surrender. He determines the depth of encounter and transformation. I've discovered for myself if I treat my secret place as something that's passive, then I'm gonna get passive fruit from it. Yeah. It's all about the terms by which you come to the Lord on. If I treat it as like a check off a box or just passive, I'm gonna get passive fruit. But if I come to the Lord with the heart that says, oh Lord, Lord, if you don't if you don't touch me today, if you don't speak to me today, it's, it's as though I'm dead inside. God, I, I must have your touch. Lord, I need your touch. See that right there communicates to heaven that I'm going to value the slightest touch from his presence, the slightest touch. The bread of his presence is sacred. It's really sacred. And he only entrusts himself to those who will value his presence. He's a good steward of what he gives out. He's a good steward. I wanna read this uh, passage in John chapter 20. This right here is Mary of Bethany, and Mary of Bethany, I love her for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is because of her high value and high regard for the Lord Jesus. Her high value, her high regard, what did we establish? The measure you use, the value you use for the Lord determines the measure of God you'll experience. So this is Mary's heart for the Lord. And every time I read this, it it always brings tears to my eyes. This is um, when Jesus was buried and and the tomb was rolled away and she went to the tomb in in John chapter 20. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Verse 18, Mary went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. What a statement. I have seen the Lord. I don't know about you. Whenever I get touched by the Lord, you don't have words for it. All you you can do is just, I have seen the Lord, Jesus. He has touched me. I don't know what he did in me, but I have seen him. I have seen the Lord. What a testimony right there. The first uh, The first time, really, the salvation story was shared in the words, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the resurrected Lord. And I read this and I think, you know, Mary was asking for a dead body. Where have you placed him? And I think, what what is a little girl gonna do with a dead body? And I think, you know, lovers, they don't think about logic. They just think about, I need the one I adore right now. I don't care what form I get him in. I just need the one I adore. They don't think about the, the stuff. They don't, they just give me Jesus. Give me him at any cost. Give me the Lord Jesus. I need the Lord. And I believe the Lord is resurrecting that cry in his bride all over the earth is where have you put my Lord? That he's raising up a people who are willing to lay down hours in the secret place, hours in the prayer room to find the depths of his presence. And they're leaving the, the secret place with this testimony, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. It's the most powerful phrase. I just want to say, give him your everything. Refuse to treat Jesus as common. Consecrate your time with him. The measure you value him will be the measure he entrusts himself to you. I want to end with this, this last one. Um, Clay, you can go ahead and help me out, bud. Number three, the third pathway to find his presence is through the pathway of the crucified life. The crucified life. I started reading this book. One of my favorite old school authors is A.W. Tozer. He's like, "Uh, I just love that guy. (laughs) Um, I've been reading a book by him called The Crucified Life. And it just so marked me um, about really what what this Christian life is about. It isn't this it isn't like a celebrity superstar thing. Like Jesus demonstrated what it is by wearing a uniform of wood. <laughs> like that's what it's about. It's about going low. It's about dying. It's about death to self. That's what it's about. It's He said this. I never preached to big crowds or at least not in my own church. But I preached a consistent Christ. The desire of wanting to get a following, to be well known, to get a reputation is not for those who are living the crucified life. Those who walk and live the crucified life have no desire for these things and are willing to lose their own reputations if they must in order to get on with God and go on to perfection. They seek no place, no wealth, no thing. Those who truly long after God will not turn their heads to be elected anywhere to anything. Only static Christians seek after high ecclesiastical positions. What did the devil desire? We established that a few weeks ago. He desired the high place. He said, I will go to the high place. I will go to the place of the north. What place did Jesus desire? He went as low as anyone can get (laughs) into the depths of death. He says, those living the crucified life do not seek place or wealth or fame or high positions. Rather, they want to know God and to be where Jesus is. Only to know Christ, that is all. The seekers after God are deeply dissatisfied with mere form. You cannot fool them with painted toys. They want content. Such seekers after God are impatient with the substitutes being offered today. When you do not have anything real inside of you, you try to get something on the outside that suggests something real is going on on the inside. It is a well-known fact that when the fire goes out in the furnace, they paint the outside to make it look like as if the fire was still there. What we have come to is this. This is his prescription he gives us, is that the people of God are not shocked enough by Calvary. The people of God are not shocked enough by Calvary. A man dying on a cross on a hill hill outside Jerusalem, and not just a man, but the God-man dying for the sins of the world. Why does this leave them so dull and unmoved? The recent outburst of modern theatrics in the church has now taken over, and the seekers of God don't like what's happening, and the hungry-hearted saints of God don't want it, so they read with great eagerness the lives of holy men in the past, from from centuries past. What I believe A.W. Tozer is is saying is that if you want to burn for Jesus, if you want a lifestyle of longevity, of knowing him, it requires stewarding a heart that is tethered to Calvary, (laughs) that is tethered to the cross, tethered to the sufferings, of Jesus, I believe in my heart there are depths and realms of the presence of God that we can find only through going through the crucified life, only through laying our lives down, only through saying yes to him, going low. And I would never try to equate my little issues here on earth with what Jesus went through on the cross, but pain is still pain no matter who's experiencing it. The feeling is still real. And there, there's a measure of his presence, when we take the pain of our lives and we put it through the furnace of his fire, we get gold that we would never get without going through pain, without going through that. There's there's preciousness in the pain of our lives. There's preciousness in it if we lean in to it rightly, if we lean in in rightly. Anytime I've ever gone through a season of, of betrayal or any type of whirlwind where it feels like, oh, this this feels like the crucified life. I, I'm i always at first thinking, why am I going through this? How many of you have ever thought that? Why am I going through this? What's happening? But then I hear this whisper in my heart from Jesus saying, you asked to be more like me. <laughs> Didn't you ask to know me more deeply? Didn't you ask to be more like me? This is this is us uh, taking part in his sufferings. I mean, go through. In life, see, I, I feel like much of the modern church has redefined Jesus into our personal genie in a bottle, really, uh, where we get our, our wishes. Or and that's just not the biblical Christian life. That's not it at all. And I know many many kind of say, "Hey, just focus on the resurrected Jesus. Don't think of him being on a cross. Just just forget about that." And I get that he is high and lifted up. He is high and resurrected. He is not on a cross anymore. He is not on a tree, but there's a reason God did not restore his wounds. (laughs) There's a reason why he still has a hole in his side. There's a reason that Paul said, I resolve in my heart to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. A man who memorized the entire Torah said, I resolve to know nothing but him and the cross, him and his wounds, him and the crown of thorns, him and him crucified. In Philippians, he said, I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to him and death. We need to know him as both the man who is high lifted up, who is our king and our victor who's coming again, and as the God-man who bled and died, our suffering king. (laughs) Our suffering king. Suffering King. I heard it said before a Jesus with no cross is philosophy, and a cross with no Jesus is religion. Say that again a Jesus with no cross is philosophy, and a cross with no Jesus is religion. See, anytime. The stories of the early apostles, anytime people would come claiming that they saw Jesus in the flesh, resurrected Jesus, the first question they would always ask them, did the man you saw, did he have holes in his hand? If he did, that was Jesus. If he did not, that was not Jesus. It's our suffering king, our suffering king. And you see many of the apostles, the apostles were not motivational speakers or life coaches. They they were not cheerleaders. They were lovesick martyrs. (laughs) They were lovesick martyrs. Historians say Peter was in Rome and there was a mass persecution happening in Rome at the time, and Peter decided to flee Rome. And as he was leaving the city, uh, legend tells it, stories tell it, it's more of a legend. Many historians are, are, are really agreeing on this, that as he was leaving Rome, Jesus appeared to him in a vision and asked him, where are you going? Where are you going? That's all he said. And Peter, being convicted of this, turned around, went back to Rome and faced his death by dying on an upside down cross faced his death. James, the brother of Jesus, was arrested in stone. And one account says that James was thrown from the pinnacle of Solomon's temple and then given a deadly blow to the head from a club. This is the brother of Jesus. He was the the Bishop of Jerusalem at the time. Apostle Thomas, many say he was speared to death in India by soldiers. It is said of James, the brother of, of John, not the brother of Jesus, as he was being led to his execution. I love this story. Historians say that one of the Roman soldiers who was leading John to his execution was so moved by his courage, uh, by James's courage in the face of death that he himself, the soldier, made a sudden profession of faith in Christ. At this sudden change of heart came with the price as both Apostle James and the soldier were executed that day. These are the, we're talking about Our lineage of faith these are our forefathers right here (laughs) they weren't celebrities they they were martyrs they were lovesick martyrs who knew that this Jesus is a Jesus worth laying myself down for (laughs) he's a suffering king and I'm I'm saying all this not to suggest that we're gonna be martyrs or anything like that but what I am saying is that there is a pathway to his presence that is available to us by finding a depth of him that only comes through suffering, only comes through the crucified life, through suffering, the crucified life. The excerpt in the gospels of Gethsemane is is, is a really special, uh, special place of scripture for me personally. Um, because it's really the only time in scripture we get a window into what Jesus's private time with God looked like. See, Jesus taught about prayer. He taught about being one-on-one with with God. But every time in scripture, it says Jesus went up the mountain to pray. He went up the hill to pray. We never get told what happened, what went on. And when I get to heaven, I can't wait. Among among other things, I wanna know what was that like? What what did those interactions with the Father look like? But here is the only time in scripture we get a window into what that one-on-one dialogue looked like between him and the lord. I want to read in Luke chapter 22. This is a, this is our suffering king. This is his this is the depth of god he found in the midst of suffering. It says Jesus went out as usual to the mount of olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, "Pray that you will not fall into temptation." He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, "Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me yet not my will but yours be done and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him and being in agony I love this being in agony he prayed more earnestly (laughs) I want to say allow the the heart sickness of life to fuel your prayer life (laughs) lean into it it's fuel for your prayer life and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, the majority of the church, I believe, overlooks the, the power of Jesus sweating drops of blood here in Gethsemane. Many, many just look at him shedding blood at the whipping post or shedding blood on the cross as the only time his blood redeemed. But his blood, I wanna suggest, not, did not only redeem on Calvary, but it redeemed in Gethsemane. And so I wanna show you what what his blood did, his sweating drops of blood did. Number one, sweating drops of blood served the purpose of Jesus bringing healing and restorations to our emotions, to our pain and our sorrow. So I just wanna say Jesus did not shed his blood only for your sins, he shed his blood intentionally for your emotional, mental trauma. He shed it for restoration by sweating drops of blood. Number two, Sweating drops of blood here in the garden overturned the curse of the earth from Genesis. Where was the curse of earth given? And where? The Garden of Gethsemane, or not the Garden of Gethsemane, Garden of Eden. (laughs) Getting ahead of myself. Where did Jesus sweat drops of blood? In a garden, in a garden. In Genesis, it said, cursed is the ground because of you. What was cursed? The ground. Why? See, I believe that, Anytime scripture gives us specifics, it is never given to us just so we could overlook it. It's always intentional. So why was it important for the writer of Luke to say, Jesus sweat drops of blood and it went into the ground. (laughs) He could have just said he sweat drops of blood period, but no, he sweat drops of blood and it went into the ground. And this is is why, cursed is the ground because of you. (laughs) Cursed is the ground because of you. The Bible could have just said he just sweat drops of blood, but the very ground was redeemed. Verse 17, through painful toil, this was the curse, you will eat the food from it all the days of your lives. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground. So the curse was by the sweat of your brow, you will eat food. And what did Jesus do in the garden to redeem the curse of work, he sweat drops of blood. This is our suffering savior. This is what he did. With the first Adam lost in the garden through pride, the last Adam restored in a garden through humility. And this this portion of scripture, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. I'm sure everyone in this room reads this and your first thought is, oh, Jesus was asking for the cross to be removed from him, right? How many of you have heard that or believe that? I, I have a different interpretation. This doesn't mean it has to be your interpretation, but my interpretation is, a, is, is quite different from that. See, I, I believe that Jesus was not asking God to remove the cross from him. He knew he had to go to the cross. I believe Jesus was asking the Lord to redeem him or to, to save him from premature death in the garden. And I wanna explain that. Historians and experts say that when Jesus was in the garden sweating those drops of blood, he was experiencing a condition called, it's a real thing called broken heart syndrome. And it's it's also called stress-induced cardiomyopathy. It's where parts of the heart enlarge and weaken to where it can't pump enough blood to meet the body's needs, and the person ends up dying because of that. And some experts, I believe, have said that Jesus was experiencing such emotional trauma, such strain, that he was on the verge of death in the garden where he wouldn't have been able to go to the cross. (laughs) So when Jesus was asking the Father, Father, take this cup of suffering from me, I wanna suggest he was not being a coward and saying, I can't handle that, he was saying, Remove this premature death so I may endure the cross tomorrow in Calvary. See, Jesus was a brave savior. He was a brave redeemer. He was a brave savior. And I say all that to say, if Jesus found the depths of God's presence through the garden like that, so can we. So can we. That's available for all of us in this room. Just wanna take a moment and let's just uh, stand to our feet all over this room. Just stand to our feet. I just want us to uh, take a moment and just behold Him, behold the Suffering King, behold the cross. And I just want you to take a moment and lean into maybe the heart sickness of your life, lean into the pain, lean into whatever is, is troubling you, and just look at His wounds, look at His look at His scars, look at look at everything He He went through. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for that you are our suffering King, Lord. We remember, Lord, we remember the power of your scars. We remember what you've done for us. And God, we pray this morning, you know every single person where they're at in life. God, you know where they're at in life. You know their own personal garden of Gethsemane moment. And so Father, I pray that you would give everyone here a fresh grace to find you, to find the depths of your presence through their garden of Gethsemane, that they would lean in to the pain, you would lean into the darkness and it would produce a prayer life in them, it would produce God a cry in them, a groan. Maybe they need to be like Jonah in in the belly of the well, just say, I will raise a voice of gratitude this morning. I will raise a voice of thanksgiving. Can we just do that right now? Can we just give him thanksgiving? Lord, I thank you. I just see him just spewing people out of darkness today. He's just redeeming people from darkness this morning. Just begin lifting up thanksgiving i just see so many of you are going to be set free from darkness just as jonah was set free from the belly of the fish i just see him as you're giving gratitude as you're giving thanks he's setting you free from whatever area of darkness that has swallowed you up jesus we give thanks this morning thank you lord for your wounds and God, thank you that you are high and lifted up, Lord. Thank you that you didn't stay in the grave, God, but you are high and lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father, Lord. We thank you for your presence this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.